I often feel as though I'm spoiled by the Lord, that he's just too good to me. Because a few months back in January, when the high altar went in, I had masses here at St. Joseph the following Sunday. And then two weeks later, when the angel statues went in, I had Mass at St. Joseph, not Father Jedediah. And then, of course, this week, as the three saint statues went in, here I am again. So it just seems the Lord is, is too good because we're just on a rotation. It did, I didn't kick him out or anything like that. Um, but it's just the way things go. And, and it's so beautiful to have these statues here in the high altar now. And I've gotten a handful of questions already just in the, since they've been up on Thursday, just a reminder of which saints are there in the high altar. And they're the same saints that were there in the original one when the church was built in 1911. Different statues, the same saints. So in the middle is, of course, St. Joseph, our patron there. And then on either side, on the left of him, is St. Peter, and on the right, our, our, in Joseph's left, there is St. Paul. And there's a couple things just to notice. Of course, we have St. Joseph in there as the patron. That's kind of a no-brainer for him to be in the middle. But the other two on either side, Peter and Paul, is a little bit, okay, how did they get in there? Because, of course, they're really important saints, but there's thousands of saints. Why Peter? Why Paul? I don't know the exact reason that they were originally put there in the original church, but my best guess is that the original Petersburg church was dedicated to St. Peter and Paul. So when they built this church, my best guess is it was a nod to the roots, to the original Petersburg church, the mother church of St. Joseph here as St. Peter and Paul. And a couple things just to notice these statues. First, St. Joseph in the middle there. If you notice the color of St. Joseph's garments, the artists did a fabulous job because they're actually the exact same colors of the garments of St. Joseph in the nativity window up there. So the same colors got included here. And then if you look at St. Joseph's hands, what he's carrying in his left hand, Joseph has the carpenter's tools. He has his hammer. He has his carpenter's square. And then in his right hand, he has a staff. St. Joseph is the patron saint of travelers, those who are on the move, because Joseph goes with Mary and, and Jesus first, or just the pregnant Mary, down to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And then from Bethlehem, he makes the journey out to Egypt. He makes the journey again back to, to Bethlehem and then back up north to, to Galilee. And so Joseph's a, a great patron of travelers. So that's why he's got those things. And Peter, on, on this side here, St. Peter, if you look at his colors, the artist had the same colors that Peter has in the Transfiguration mural. Peter's the one, of course, in the green and kind of the brownish gold overgarment. So you can tell it's the, the same person there, even the same kind of balding hairstyle. And in one hand, St. Peter has his keys, right? Jesus gives Peter in Matthew chapter 16 the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever he binds on earth shall be bound in heaven. And then in his left hand, St. Peter has his fishing net. Jesus tells Peter in Luke's gospel, you'll no longer be fishing for fish, but you will become a fisher of men. So Peter's out for a great catch of souls for Jesus Christ. And then in the far statue is St. Paul. 
St. Paul, of course, goes all over the world, or all over the known world, around the Mediterranean preaching. And so he's got his hand out as he's gesticulating, as he's, as he's preaching. And, and then in his right hand, he has a letter. St. Paul wrote, I believe, 13 letters of the New Testament. And then also in his right hand there is his sword. St. Paul was decapitated. That's how he was martyred. So he's often depicted carrying a sword. And so these images here, of course, kind of lift our hearts to the saints and what they did and what they mean for us and what they have continued to mean through the past 2,000 years of Christianity. And the saints are so wonderful because they're so practical. Right? There's so many different stories of all the saints, whether it's these, whether it's some of the ones also imaged, whether it's Margaret Mary Alacoque or St. Martin of Tours. All the saints show us a particular way to respond to Jesus Christ's call. And that call continues through our own lives and even, even to our own day and age with people like Mother Teresa or Pope St. John Paul II who responded to God's call in their life and practically said yes day in and day out. And so it's one of the great things about saints is they're so practical, right? They're stories. They're not living in the abstract, but there's, they're concrete, historical ways to say yes to Jesus Christ. On the flip side, the feast that we celebrate today doesn't seem terribly practical. The feast of the Most Holy Trinity seems to maybe be one of the most abstract things of our faith. It's not the most practical to say, okay, you can't touch it, you can't feel it. It's three persons in one God. And we kind of wonder, well, what does that mean for our day-to-day life? How does that live out in our lives, this mystery of the Trinity? But it's an important one. And the Catechism says that the, the, tr- the Most Holy Trinity is the central mystery of the Christian faith, which is a huge claim. It's more central than the Incarnation, the fact that God becomes man in Jesus Christ. It's more central than the death of Jesus on the cross, pictured in that stained glass window over there. More central than the Eucharist, the fact that Jesus feeds us with his body and blood. But the Trinity is the most central mystery of our faith, the center of everything. And when we're talking about a mystery, it's not like Law and Order or CSI or Hawaii Five-O, whatever mystery shows are out there, or Sherlock Holmes. It's not something that if we just get enough clues, then we're going to figure it out. Like if we just gather enough information, we'll have the answers. On the other hand, a mystery in our faith is one that we could say so much about. We could write volumes about the Trinity, about the Eucharist, and we'll never exhaust it. We'll just be scratching the surface, that you'll never be able to say as much as possible about the mysteries of our faith. And also, a mystery in our faith is one that we couldn't figure out on our own, but that God reveals to us, right? We would never know that a piece of bread has the possibility of being transformed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, except that God tells us, except that Jesus tells us that this is possible. And so the center of all of these mysteries is the mystery of the Trinity, because all of the other mysteries are about how God relates to us, right? The incarnation, it's how God comes to us, the death of Jesus, how he saves us, the Eucharist, how he nourishes us, but the Trinity exists apart from us. It has nothing to do with us, that God is three persons in one God. It exists apart from us, right? So it's who God is in himself, 
is the Trinity. Apart from us, it doesn't, take, it doesn't even take humanity into account of it. That God is united. And we heard that in the book of Deuteronomy, our first reading. God is one. And with Jesus Christ, we learn that there are three persons and one God. And this is the center of all the mysteries, for one, because it's who God is in himself, but also, without the Trinity, everything else falls apart. If God, if, if Jesus Christ isn't a member of the Trinity, God doesn't become man. If Jesus Christ isn't God, then we're not actually saved. If the Holy Spirit isn't God, there's no possibility for the, for the Eucharist to become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. If there aren't three persons in one God, every other mystery falls apart. Every other aspect of our faith falls apart if the Trinity is not real. And so it seems kind of abstract, but the more we dig around, it's really one of the most practical of our, of our of thing of our faith because everything relates to it. And even we relate to the Trinity as we hear in the gospel today. In the gospel, we get Jesus' commission to the apostles to go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so it's a recognition for us that in our baptism, by the gift of just seemingly ordinary water being poured over somebody's head, which happens like every single day we take a bath, but with baptism, we're transformed. The life of the Trinity is poured into our hearts and we're drawn up into the very life of God. We're forever transformed because we've been baptized. And so we're drawn up into this very life of God that his, heart, his Trinity is placed inside our hearts and we live forever with God. You can't ever undo a baptism. And so this Trinity, which seems so abstract, lives in us and we live in the Trinity. And it's not just something that, hey, that's cool, but there's actually a goal for this. God does this for a reason, draws us into the life of the Trinity so that we too can become saints. So that we too, like Joseph, like Peter, like Paul, can become great saints. That each and every one of us is called to be his disciple, is called to live a holy life, and it's actually possible for us to become saints. And so often it feels like it's not. You know, we know our sins, we know our shortcomings, we know the crosses in our lives, and it becomes frustrating, it becomes daunting. Yet we hear the very final words of the gospel. Jesus, right before he ascends to heaven, he says to his apostles, Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And with that promise that Jesus is always with us, because he's, his life's been given to us in baptism, we're nourished by his body and blood of the Eucharist, we have this shot to be a saint. We have a chance to live lives that are completely transformed by the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of the most blessed Trinity to be saints. And as we come here today on this great solemnity of Trinity Sunday, we recognize that this Trinity is something very practical, it means something for us because it gives us the shot at heaven. It gives us the shot of living heaven on earth right now and being with God forever in heaven. And so we set out today again on this path to being saints, knowing that God calls each and every one of us to a holy life, just as he did the, the great saints depicted here in our beautiful church.